Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service. Whether you're here in church with us or at home joining us, it's a pleasure that you've joined us this morning. It's also a great pleasure for me to welcome to Ballycrocken the Reverend Dennis Campbell. Now, Dennis took some of our services when we were in lockdown, but this is the first time he's actually been in church to see our congregation face to face. So, Dennis, I hope we don't put you off, <laughs> but you are very, very welcome to Ballycrocken this morning. It's a joy to see you again. And of course, with him this morning is his wife, Hilary. So, Hilary, you two are very welcome. Thank you for joining us. Now, the announcements, services for June. Next Sunday is Communion Sunday, and the Reverend Colin McGaw will be here to take the service. It will be at 11 o'clock, and you will receive all the guidance you need when you come to church. But I can say it will be on exactly the same format as our Good Friday Communion service. And then the last Sunday in the month is Children and Young People's Day, and we hope that that will be followed by a church barbecue but that is totally dependent on COVID regulations and the weather, so we will keep you informed about that development. Now, something else, men's breakfast. The church has had a men's breakfast for many years, but there has been a lapse recently for many reasons, including COVID. It's planned to start the men's breakfast again next month, the first Saturday in July. That's the good news. It's going to be held in Bangor Golf Club, where there's a private room available to us. And the bad news is, gentlemen, it's 7.30 for 8. It will be over at 9. Uh, the organiser of all of this is Bill Aiken, and because of catering arrangements, we need to be fairly precise in the guidance we're going to give the caterers. So if you plan to attend, would you please give your name and contact details to Bill? Uh, gentlemen, you will receive a letter later in the week giving you all the details of the breakfasts. But as I say, starting on the first Sunday in July and the first Sunday of every month thereafter, that is the plan if it's a success. And the last announcement I want to make today is the weekly one for Jim and Kim. Monday, as you know, I have renamed as Jim and Kim Day. Jim will be here from 12 to 1 to receive your donations for storehouse and any other donations you wish to make for church. And Kim will be here from nine o'clock until 10.30 in the evening, and again on Tuesday morning, with the free food that comes in from Tesco. And last week we had some from Asda as well. So you're very, very welcome to come on either of those occasions. Those are the announcements this morning. Dennis, it's my pleasure to invite you to lead our service. Thank you. Thank you, Billy. It's a joy to be with you on such a bright sunny morning and to have a church with people in it. Uh, things are getting better and we will meet again. Let us worship God. The psalmist sings, O Most High God, I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name. The hymn number 242, To God be the glory, great things he hath done. Oh 
Let us unite in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty, everlasting God, you have given us the promise that we may share your heavenly life both here and hereafter. Give us the gift of your Holy Spirit so that brought to life by your word, we may experience what it means to be held by his everlasting arms. O oh God, you provide strength to all who trust in you. Mercifully accept our prayers. And because through the weakness of our mortal nature we can do no good thing without you, grant us the help of your grace, that in the keeping of your commandments we may please you in will and in deed. God of mercy, look with compassion on us, a congregation of your faithful people. We gather in faith, but with a deep awareness that we are unworthy of your holy presence. We have turned our backs on you repeatedly. We have shunned your way of truth and have allowed the falsehoods of the world to deceive us. We have assigned great value to trivial matters and have considered the great truths of Scripture to be of little worth. We have allowed our lives to be filled by anxiety and have forgotten that the life of faith means casting all our burdens on you. Forgive our lack of faith. Show us yet again that it is possible to trust you one day at a time and to leave the future in your loving hands. Grant us a fresh encounter with the compassionate Christ so that we may hold our heads high, confident that our past failures need no longer accuse us. All these things we ask for the sake of Jesus Christ, the merciful, who encourages us to pray like this, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Brian will read our first reading from Job 38. From the book of Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? 
When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. Amen. Thank you, Brian. We sing together hymn 643. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves. This reading is from John chapter 21. The resurrected Jesus has just performed a miracle of the fish and has shared breakfast with some of the disciples. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. 
When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the son, who, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Thank you, Katrina. And it's good that Brian and Katrina are well enough to read the lessons. I understand they were vaccinated on Friday and it affects us all differently. Uh, so uh, we're all making progress towards better times. We unite in our prayers for ourselves and others. Let us pray. Loving Father God, hear the prayers of your people as we gather for worship, seeking your nearer presence and offering ourselves for service. Pray for the world in the grip of a pandemic. We give thanks for the fearless service of the nursing and medical profession. We give thanks for the science which has produced vaccines, our passport to liberty. We give thanks for all who have helped to keep our spirits up during days of lockdown and isolation. We pray for the church. May we exercise faith, hope, and love. May we care for the weak and distressed in our fellowship, and may we be generous to all in need outside our fellowship. May we have a faith-seeking understanding so that we may grow in knowledge of Scripture and may discover afresh how Scripture speaks to our generation. May we cherish our children and young people by encouraging them to receive the friendship of the carpenter of Nazareth and to rejoice in following him. We pray for our congregation in this time of vacancy. Bless Colin, our convener. Bless the elders. Encourage them all in caring ministry. 
May we be blessed in your good time by the arrival of a faithful and caring pastor. We pray for our country. Despite political and social divisions, may a spirit of goodwill and harmony encourage healthy cooperation and mutual respect. We cannot always see clearly how our divisions and conflicts may be resolved. But we trust in you as the one who overcomes the malice of the world. Pray for the troubled land of Burkina Faso, where another massacre has taken place. We pray for the great continent of Africa, asking for peace and prosperity there. We ask you to comfort the bereaved, the sick, the anxious, the confused, and the despairing. Reveal yourself to them as the God of hope. We pray for those known to us who are in deep distress. We name them now in the silence. And now a prayer of thanksgiving for the faithful departed. Almighty God, you have bound your people together in a communion in the mystical body of your Son. Grant us grace to follow the example of your saints who utter praise now in your nearer presence. May we emulate their virtues and their godliness so that in your good time we may come to the unimagined joys which you have prepared for those who love you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. To him, there's a quiet understanding.
That's a delightful praise song, new to me. I hope to hear it again sometime. Let us pray. In this hour, in this place, may your word only be spoken, O Christ, and may your word only be heard. Amen. Our text is John 21 and verse 25, the very last verse of the Gospel of John. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. In 2007, Paris Hilton was in big trouble. Paris Hilton, the American television personality, heiress, celebrity, model, and party girl, was arrested and found to be in possession of Class A drugs. Because of her fame, all the news reporters were especially interested in her court case. She was sentenced to a year's probation, community service, and a fine. On the first day of her sentence, the news media watched her leaving home to obey the ruling of the court. She emerged to face the cameras clutching a Bible. Now, you and I might be cynical when we see celebrities making a show of piety. But if your life is disintegrating, where better to turn other than to God and his holy book when the going gets tough, the tough get going? No. When the going gets tough, the tough get reading. Reading life-giving words, life-giving stories, life-giving promises. There's plenty of evidence that the Gospels were written because the going got tough for the early church. It takes a crisis to cause something as wonderful as a gospel to be written. It takes a massive emergency for the wonderful gospel of John to be composed. Let not your heart be troubled, says Jesus in the gospel of John. Troubled heart seeking comfort may reach for a pen and start writing. Troubled heart seeking a new vision of Christ may write down his words of life as an inspiration in troubled times. Troubled hearts seeking direction may record the past as a springboard for the future. In difficult times, the church is losing her grip on things and needs a book to hang on to. Now, what is the catastrophe that causes Gospels to be written? church is losing her apostles. It's high time that the stories about Jesus were written down because the generation which knew Jesus in the flesh is dying off. The last chapter of the Gospel of John refers to the death of two vitally important disciples. The risen Jesus tells Peter that he will be martyred for the faith. There's a strong tradition 
that Peter was indeed executed in the persecution under Emperor Nero. The risen Christ also speaks to Peter of the death of the beloved disciple, the servant of Jesus, whom we know as John. It's believed that John lived to a great age, but when he was gone, there were perhaps no other witnesses who could provide spoken testimony to the life and death and resurrection of the Lord. When the church is losing her apostles, it's time to write things down. And the church is losing her members. It's high time that the stories about Jesus were written down because people are deserting the church. John's Gospel reminds us this happened during our Lord's ministry in Galilee and in Jerusalem. In John chapter 6, Jesus says that those who would receive his gift of life must feast on his body and blood. Such talk is offensive to many. And John says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no longer with him. Shadow of the cross always falls across believers in all aspects of our life, and many vote with their feet and give up. In the crisis of losing members, something as solid as a book is needed to give stability to an insecure church. And the church is losing her nerve. It's high time that the stories about Jesus were written down because the future is uncertain. Think of the pressure on the beloved disciple as he takes up his pen. All those who knew Jesus in the flesh have gone to his nearer presence. Many of his contemporaries are losing their faith and are not bothering to turn up on the Lord's day for the breaking of bread. Failure of nerve threatens the morale of the little group of believers. The other three Gospels are fine, but John's congregation needs something special. John's church needs its very own version of the good news, tailored for its special need. In such difficult times, the church is losing her grip on things and needs something solid to hang on to. She needs a book to pass on the faith, to inspire the weak, to reassure the waverers. When the going gets tough, the tough get reading. Reading Gospels so that people may believe and through belief find life abundant. Of course, the world does not lose its nerve in the crisis of modernity. Not at all. The world has absolute confidence that it is right to need neither Christ, nor gospel, nor Bible, nor church. When the going gets tough, the world just gets tougher. The holy book on which so much of our civilization is based is neglected and rejected and ignored. Indeed, many are ashamed of their religious heritage. Children can be brought up ignorant of how Western society, despite its many faults, 
has cherished and respected Christ-like charity. Young people can come to maturity without any awareness of the prodigal son and the good Samaritan and going the second mile and turning the other cheek. Many people struggle, struggling to make sense of a confused and callous and crazy world never seek to discover how the stagnant water of their existence might be transformed into sparkling wine at the Lord's command. Debbie Wiseman tells how she attended a conference of world religions in the Japanese city of Hiroshima. Because they were in that city, once totally devastated by the atom bomb, the ten religions held a service of remembrance at the memorial to the slaughtered millions. A Jewish woman called Dahlia read that wonderful vision in Ezekiel chapter 37, the story of the valley full of dry bones and how the bones are brought to life by the breath of God. It's a Bible passage dear to the heart of Christians because it speaks of resurrection. For Debbie Wiseman, Scripture had never been so appropriate as in that solemn ceremony. Afterwards, the cameraman recording the event for the press, a Scandinavian, asked Debbie about Dahlia's reading. Those were beautiful words about the Valley of Dry Bones, he said. Did she write them herself? Ezekiel chapter 37 is one of the most inspirational passages of Scripture and is his inheritance as a citizen of the Western world, but he had never heard of it. The world does not lose its nerve in the crisis of modernity, not at all. The world blunders on, ignoring the beauty and the riches and the joy that Scripture offers. And the result is loss, inestimable loss. But the triumphant Christ expands our horizons. The triumphant Christ enlarges our awareness of God's grace. The triumphant Christ multiplies joyful acts of witness. In the church, when the going gets tough, Christ opens us up to countless possible ways of renewal. Pity the beloved disciple as he struggles to end his gospel. How do you conclude a book about everlasting life? Surely such a book would have to be itself everlasting. How do you end? a never-ending story. How do you put a full stop where God has placed only a comma? John does, does not shirk the challenge. His answer is to open up his readers' expectations. God's, John's message is the sky is the limit. There are also many other things that Jesus did. John confesses, there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. 
even after 21 chapters depicting the world, the Word of God in human flesh, even after all this, there is more to be said. This is not the whole story John is telling us. How could it be? To tell the whole story of Jesus' love and power would exhaust the capacities of the universe. When it comes to experiencing the riches of Christ, the sky is the limit. Whatever we know of Christ, we've only grasped a fragment of him. Whatever wonders we have experienced, they are as nothing to the wonders which we will yet experience. Human categories are powerless to describe Christ, and human books are inadequate to hold him. He is always expanding our horizons. Therefore, we will produce more stories based on his stories, more experiences based on his experience, more testimonies based on his witness to the truth. We will grasp that when it comes to testifying to the love of Christ, the sky is the limit. And here we will be imitating the great saints and martyrs of the past. In the 5th century, the news reached Africa that the city of Rome, headquarters of the church, had been conquered and sacked by barbarian hordes. Christians were horrified and traumatized and driven to despair by this news. How could this happen? How could God allow this? When he saw that the going had got tough, Augustine, a bishop in North Africa, started writing. He took up his pen and wrote a book entitled The City of God. The message of his book is that men and women of faith need not give way to despondency. Why? Because the heavenly city outshines Rome beyond all comparison. In the heavenly city and there alone is to be found God's victorious truth. In the 14th century, Juliana of Norwich had visions of Christ. For five long hours, she was caught up into the divine presence. She was an anchoress, a nun whose life was greatly focused on prayer. And she lived by a city which had been devastated by the plague. Does that sound familiar? The going got tough. She was ill herself when she received her visions. Later, she wrote about her experience and so produced the very first book written by a woman in the English language. Is her message otherworldly, weird, and detached? Not at all. Her message is that with Christ, the sky is the limit. Her most famous saying is the delightful, All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. In the 20th century, Geoffrey Bellhouse was one of the most respected preachers in the English Presbyterian Church. I once attended a service at his church in Eastbourne. Towards the end of the service, Geoffrey baptized a little girl. What he said to his, 
her parents at that baptism, I have never forgotten. He told Roberta and George, the parents, you must introduce little Susan to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But you must also introduce her to the Gospels of Roberta and George. Your example will guide her life of faith. There are so many other things Jesus did, writes St. John. If they were written down, each of them, one by one, I can't imagine a world big enough to hold such a library of books. When it comes to celebrating Christ in public or in private, the sky is the limit. The sky is the limit. The sky is the limit. Amen. Hymn 549, Lord of creation, to you be all praise. mercy and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.